This podcast is brought to you by Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please go to ctfboulder.com. So um, today is a topic that I am horrendous at. (laughs) And so I'm going to share very honestly and vulnerably. It's called personal evangelism. Um, And really the goal of today is to take a lot of the guilt and and shame off us. How How many in here believe God has called you to be an evangelist? One, two, okay, several of you. I'm not. I'm called to do the work of an evangelist, but if you know me, I'm not an evangelist. And I have sat through countless sermons trying to encourage me, um, and honest, most of them felt more like guilt. (laughs) It would be like me telling everybody in this room that you need to be prophets, and you need to hear and see, and you're just, some of us are not gifted that way. Now, again, don't get me wrong here. What I'm going to do is just share my journey and what God has taught me, and hopefully set us free. One of the most amazing evangelists, my wife and I know, her name was Carol, and it was my wife's best friend when we lived in Texas. And that lady, I mean, she could lead anyone to the Lord. She's the only person, you know, the people who, you know, there was a time we're putting tracks everywhere. Oh, that used to annoy me and offend me. She's the only one I know that people came to church because they found a tract in the toilet. She would wrap them up in the toilet paper, and they would come going, I need to be here. And I'm like, okay, Jesus, I repent. (laughs) So I tried it. Not one. (laughs) But you hear what I'm saying? There is this tension. So... That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's go to our first slide. Uh, Wait, wait, wait. There's a slide missing. Oh, you didn't get the updated one. Okay, sorry. I had a meme, so I'll have to explain the meme. (coughs) So, what's that? No, that's okay. So, the meme is there's... You know, uh, the, the pastor, and uh, there's a greeter, and there's a lady lying on the floor. And she's holding an arm with blood on the end. And the pastor is saying to the, the guy, saying, Roy didn't last long as a greeter at his church. Pastor is saying to him, take back that hand to the Halloween store. <laughs> the lady came up to greet her hand, and it came out, and she passed out. Anyway. Um, Yeah, really bad, I know. It doesn't translate well. The point of the meme is, you know, we all have good intentions, and sometimes it gets lost in translation, as I just demonstrated. (laughs) But the point of what I'm trying to say here is, let's go to the slide. There's this this passage, 2 Timothy 4.5. And I love to hate this passage. 
and I'm going to explain my journey with this passage. Um, again, as you've heard me say, you, you know, we've got to keep Scripture in context. So this wasn't written to us. It was written to Timothy 2,000 years ago. So what relevance does that have to us? I don't know, just read it. <laughs> it says, as for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what? So... What does it mean to be sober-minded? Be a realist. What it means, I'll give you the definition. It means to curb the controlling influences of inordinate emotions or desires. No, it doesn't say that's sin. It doesn't say it's sin. It says our job is to curb. Pam, what did she stand up here and say? Let God have control of the way we think. Why? Because how we think is either real estate for God or the devil in some ways. And we need to fight to have our own real estate. So, it says here, to curb the controlling influence of inordinate emotional desires and therefore become reasonable. <laughs> so, let's, so if we're not reasonable, what does that mean? When we're around other people who are not being reasonable, what does that mean? Now, that doesn't mean they have to agree with us. That may mean you're being unreasonable. It means there's a controlling emotional desire. That's not our enemy. And it says here, this is conceived as of being sobering up from the influence of alcohol. In other words, we've got to sober up from something that's controlling us. This is why scripture says, take all thoughts and bring them captive to Christ. It's not a religious exercise of, oh, now I need to be holier than you, and I need to act like I know everything and have my life together, and when I go to the bathroom, it smells like eau de cologne. I mean, no, guys, come on. That is the worst form of religiousness. Jesus died that we would have freedom. That's not freedom. So my journey was started with being sober-minded. We'll get to evangelism. 
when I meet people, I honestly don't think, how am I going to lead you to Jesus? The evangelists I've met, that's all they think of. The ones that are gifted and called to do that. That's what they think. That's how they think. That's who they are. Those people struggle with church in a good way. Do you know why? What are you doing here? Get out there. That's where the lust is. And you're going, have you had the week I've had? You wouldn't tell me to go out there. <laughs> what am I saying? The heart of evangelism is for the lost. Now, I don't care who you are. If you spend any time with God, you see his heart for you, for me. How can we not have a heart for others? So I'm not saying I don't have a heart for others. I just don't think in the same terms that evangelists do. Some evangelists can get legalistic, just like any gift. But as some of you have heard me say before, the Ephesians 4, where it says, you know, apostles, it says, for the church. When you get around an evangelist who's called to the church, suddenly you go, I could get anyone saved. <laughs> it, it becomes doable. Why? Because their gifting begins to seep into us. And it's not about doing, it's about being. Just think in your own life, Christian or not Christian. When you're having a bad day, who do you want to be around? Now, if you're an introvert, me, just leave me alone, put me in the dark room, give me a book, a show, whatever it is. But even introverts, let's just say you've been alone and you want company. Do you want to be around somebody who's religious? No. Why I want to be around somebody who's authentic. Whether you're Christian or not, why were people attracted to Jesus? This is where my journey started. So, being sober-minded for me started off with me learning who I am not. I am not called as an evangelist. I'm not gifted that way. Now, when I got saved, um, I did get to lead about two, three hundred of my friends to the Lord. But that was more by accident. Honest. You know, God was doing some amazing things, and it was just, you know, walk up to somebody and say, do you want, yes, and they would get saved, I said, yes. <laughs> I remember this couple in church who were really offended at me, and I didn't know why, um, 
we had a Tuesday night meeting where we were just, youth would get together and we would pray and worship and God would do crazy things. And one day they walked into the service or service, the meeting, and it was in a friend's kind of like, they had built, we're going to make, they were building a bigger garage, but it was unfinished. It was a concrete floor. And anyway, we were meeting in there and all of a sudden I heard that scripture, I pent and groan like a woman in childbirth. And then this, you know, I was probably 17, this older couple walk in. And I immediately knew they were offended at me. <laughs> and I didn't know why. But I was like, okay, you know, anybody's welcome to come. And um, the presence of God just became very intimate and all very, very serious. And for a bunch of kids, it got very somber. And I just kept hearing the scripture so I looked at this couple and I just said does this scripture mean anything to you and you know we were all standing up and they were standing you know over there and I, just, I found the scripture in Isaiah and I read it and as I read it literally both of them was like they got hit lifted about two three feet off the floor and fell backwards and I was going oh Jesus I hope that's you <laughs> I don't know what to do. You know, we're talking 30-some years ago. <laughs> we didn't have catches, and, uh, and I'm just going, well, let's move on. <laughs> and so they literally laid there, and God was doing stuff, and by the end of the meeting, they had left. And about two months later, they came up to me and hugged me and treated me like I was their best friend. And... That day she had, or that week she had found out that she could never get pregnant. It was impossible. There was something wrong. And um, there were other complications and she'd had to have a partial hysterectomy and that had happened that week. So not only couldn't she have, but they had to do more and she was pregnant. God sovereignly healed her. He got saved. I didn't know he wasn't saved. I, I was just being me. All right, let's move on. The last time I had a, I mean, a story like that was a few years ago when we were in Thailand and we were up in Doi Chang where they make amazing coffee. <gasps> they grow really, really good coffee. We're in this tiny church. John and Sharon were there with us. I forget who else was there. And um, the Spirit of God began moving so powerfully. Some of you have heard the stories. I mean, the young kids, God started moving on them. And the next morning when they came to church, they were actually devastated because they couldn't see God. They had seen him the night before. You know, they go from playing with bugs and picking their nose like typical kids to falling on the ground. Anyway, we're ministering and God is moving unbelievably powerful. It's a very tender time. And in that culture, you don't lead anyone to the Lord unless the head of the household is led to the Lord. Now, you can, but culturally, that's a taboo. And so we were... we follow the culture as much as we can. I mean, you know. So all of that being said, 
I'm standing in the room and suddenly I feel somebody driving by. And I feel them stop and God says to me, lead them to the Lord. And I'm like, okay, God, um, uh, what do we do now? Anyway, this young man walks in and um, I kind of made my way through the mess of the room over to him and um, he, he's vibrating. And I, uh, I said to him, you know, through a translator, hey, you know, who are you? And he starts crying and he goes, I was driving by and I had to stop and I had to come in and see what was going on. And um, I suddenly knew some things and we started, you know, I just said, you know, you're grieving. I knew somebody had died. I thought it was his father. It was his father. Um, when, when that happened, I went, are you the oldest son? And he said, yes. And I went, oh, I can lead you to the Lord. <laughs> and so um, we led him to the Lord, and he just, he, he just, I mean, I've never seen some God move on somebody like that in all my life. You know, I'm, I don't do body fluids. I did it with my kids. I said, I'm a man, I will do this. Even if I puke as much as them, I'll do this. <laughs> this, this guy, I, we began praying for him, and he, he, he is sweating. I mean, like, he has 104 fever, just profusely. It's coming through his jacket, and he falls into me. <laughs> and it was just body fluid, sweat. And I'm holding him, and... I, he began, it's like I'm holding a, a, a piece of coal. I mean, the man is sweating, and I'm trying to hold him, and I'm trying to find a place to put him because there are bodies everywhere. And it like, he just turns into jello and just slid through my arms onto the floor. It was the weirdest thing. Why do I share this? That had nothing to do with me. All I was doing was being me in my gifting. So I'm not an evangelist, but I am prophetic. And just listening to God, he opens doors for me. That's what I'm asking. Who are you not? But who are you? I also had to learn by being sober-minded, who am I? I also have some administration in me. And God has used that in business to open up doors. I now also work for a Christian company. And if you have a meeting with more than, you know, with three or more people, the culture is you pray. <laughs> Um, and we have a lot of vendors, and one of the vendors I work with closely is um, a, a, an Indian company, and several of them are Sikh and Hindu, and one of them said to me privately a while back, some of you, I think I shared it on Wednesday night, said to me, he, he said to me, I, I, 
you know, basically, I, I want to get to know you more because every time you pray, you pray what's on my heart. Am I going to get to lead him to the Lord? I don't know. All I'm being is me, and I'm, I'm, my goal isn't to lead someone to the Lord. My goal is what Joel said, is to not just get them saved, but that they would grow into a relationship with God. When Jesus, you know, I mean, several people, the woman at the well, she wasn't Jewish. I mean, she was like an ultimate sinner. And yet, did she run away from Jesus screaming? Ah! I mean, come on. She even says, Jesus says, you know, go get your husband. <laughs> he goes, well, I don't have one. He goes, yeah, you've had five. She goes back to the village and tells everyone, I met a man who told me everything I ever did. That had to be pretty awkward unless there was something going on because everybody came with her to see Jesus. And you've heard me say this. I think she was the most effective, amazing evangelist in all of Scripture because they turn around and say to her, we don't believe because of you. We believe because we've met Jesus. I remember when I got saved, there were two friends that I got to know. Um, they weren't saved at the time. Um, both of them smoked marijuana, um, which back then was, you know, I, I cannot, yeah, weed, I, I cannot explain. I mean, it was like they were the scum of the earth. I mean, literally, if they got caught, you would be publicly be flogged. That's how bad that was back then. And the, the reason I know that is because when they did get saved, they both confessed to me and, you know, and weren't sure what to do. And I just said, you know what? You have to work this out with Jesus. I am not your conscience. I said, I'm here to help you. Unfortunately, one of them told some other people and all the religious people got around him and said, you have to stop, you have to stop, this is sin, this is sin, this is sin, this is sin. And as of 2008, when we were last in South Africa, he was still struggling with it. The other guy didn't tell anyone but me. And about a year later, he told me that he had stopped and it had been three months. And he's not in South Africa, but we did connect a couple of years ago. And he said he, he's never struggled with addiction again. I'm not trying to make that a formula. Sometimes we do need people saying, knock it off. But guilt never changes me. Does it change you? What changes me is freedom and love. And so this is what I want to ask you. We can only evangelize to the degree that we live in freedom and love ourselves in healthy ways. Because you can only love your neighbor as you love someone else, the way Jesus loves you. It would be a lot easier if that's what the book said. 
why we wouldn't all feel like hypocrites at times. <laughs> we have to love others the way we love ourselves. That's what Jesus did. So, let, let, let's, who are you not? Stop trying to beat yourself if you're not. Or stop trying to hide yourself if you are. And then who are you? I think it was, it's about 25 years ago, God basically gave me a vision, told me he was taking me out of full-time ministry um, and began putting me in the whole medical technology world. Because that, in my life, from him, was my ministry. And I can tell you amazing stories. I've, I've been able to impact millions of people's lives. They will never know it because of what God has had me do. But we're talking about evangelism, so let, let's move on. Um, let's go, what's the next slide you have there? Okay, what gifts do I have? There's a little bit of what I know about myself. I'm prophetic. I'm a futurist. I live in the future. I always have. I, I don't know how else to explain it. My wife and I joke, she likes to live in the past, so we meet in the present. <laughs> I'm an administrator. I have management. I'm a leader. I take risks. I love jumping into ambiguity and bringing definition. Who are you? It evolves, it changes. I didn't know all of that about myself. Sometimes God has asked me to do things and I'm going, are you out of your mind? Do you know me? And it's like he goes, yeah, that's why I'm asking you to do that. At one point when I asked him, why are you telling me to do this? He said, because otherwise you're going to get bored and get into trouble. Sounds like a dad, doesn't it? <laughs> Yes, sir. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. <laughs> Why do we think God is all about stuffiness? Okay. Who, who are you? What have you learned about yourself? And there should be a question mark after that. I'm learning. Let's go to the next slide. What gifts do you have and how are they or could they help open up opportunities? Learning how people typically experience me and letting God help me see myself and adjust. How do people experience you? My whole life, everybody said, you're intense. <laughs> Anybody shocked by that in here? <laughs> no. I remember when I went to Bible college and we were going through how to preach, and I had given my first sermon, and <laughs> I will never forget, my professor looked at me and said, you should have warned me that I needed to put on a seatbelt. <laughs> uh, 
Why is that important? At some point, maybe we'll discuss what it means to be an ambassador. But as we grow and learn about ourselves, we're able to adjust ourselves without losing who we are. Some of us aren't intense. Some of us are, I would say, more caring. I'm not the kind of person, and Joel, I'll pick on him. I mean, if, 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 you're, if you've got, if you're wanting just some comfort, 99% of you will not come to Joel and I. I mean, does that even come to your mind? <laughs> now, that doesn't mean, I mean, you can see Joel's holding his daughter and snuggling. That doesn't mean, but it's, it's not who we are. But if I said you had a choice between getting some comfort from Christy or me, thank you. Yeah, it's, not, it's like, duh. Why? Because there's differences, and that's not wrong. Who you are is God, who's God made you. Who are the people in your life around you? A lot of the things that I was initially taught about evangelism didn't work because it wasn't fun. <gasps> now, I'm not saying it always has to be fun. But if you're not enjoying yourselves, then I'm going to ask you to stop and reevaluate your life. Now, not all of our life can be fun, but if there's no fun in your life, Let's move on, and I'll, I'll tell you what I mean in my journey, and where are we with time? We've got a few minutes still. Okay, um, intense, overwhelming, how do, okay, let's go to the next slide. Okay, so <clears throat> Matthew 9, 10 through 11. These are two other passages that Jesus is used to, you know, help me grow up. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, how does your teacher eat with, with tax collectors and sinners? Tax collectors and sinners back then were beyond the scum of the earth. So that might be like saying, how does your teacher eat with terrorists and literally is what they were saying. Now, now, this is Jesus with the halo. And he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Now, that's shocking right there. But number two, why would tax collectors and sinners eat with him? I mean, if he was all high and mighty and stuck up and religious? What? There had to be something about Jesus 
that was attractive. And it couldn't be, turn or burn! Some of you know where I'm going with that. And I'm not saying some of those people, God isn't asking them to do that. I'm not going to judge them. I know that will never work on me. <laughs> or the people like me. But I'm called to reach people, in a sense, not just like me, but like me and those God puts in my life. If I cannot get to a place where I'm comfortable around terrorists and, because sinners and tax collectors just sound so religious, how do you, how do I become comfortable like that? Now, if you've been a drug addict or an alcohol alcoholic and you just got saved, God is not calling you right now to go back into the bar, okay? I've heard that one too often. That doesn't mean he's telling you to abandon your drug addicts and alcoholic friends in the right context. If Jesus is real, he's real. How do we get comfortable? That's a journey. Because of my background, I struggle to be around people who have sexually abused other people because I was sexually abused, physically abused, emotionally. I struggle. But God, does God love them any less than me? But I'm not there yet. I'll get there. Why do I share that? Because all of us are at places. <clears throat> Let me share an example with you. Well, let's read the next, the next passage. The next passage is Matthew eleven nineteen. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. <gasps> How, that's scandalous. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. I mean, that's what it says in the book. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. It's not quite the same as the end justifies the means. <laughs> okay? What does it mean? Jesus had to be Fun to be around. At one point, I wasn't hearing God, and I, I was seeing him, seeing him. Finally, he just one day said to me, I said, God, why am I not hearing you? He said, because you're boring. I've never heard a sermon about that, have you? Don't be boring for God. He said, you don't know how to have fun. My mission from God back then was to learn how to have fun. I kept saying, God, why, why, why? I was like, really? You want me to teach you how to have fun? Do I teach you how to chew and swallow and breathe? It's like, grow up. And so we lived in L.A., and I decided I, we've, I've never been to a concert. 
I'd always wanted to see Sting and Annie Lennox. They came into town. We went to see a concert and we invited people. And then I heard about, um, he's dead now, Prince. He had a musicology tour or whatever. And I went, I want to go see that. Took a whole bunch of friends to see that. That was the most amazing musicianship I've ever seen in my life. Fortunately, I didn't realize how bad he had been. He'd cleaned up his act by then. I didn't care. I was just trying to figure out how to have fun. I was working at Cedar sinai Medical Center in LA, which is one of the top premier hospitals in the world. My whole life, I'd always wanted to be 35. Most people want to be 80. For me, it was 35. Anyway, so for my 35th birthday, I felt God tell me, throw a big party and invite everyone. So the people I worked with, you know, Beverly Hills, I had a lot of LGBTQ people working for me that I was friends with, that I really like. And I had a lot of religious people that didn't know how to be friends with sinners and tax collectors. I was learning. It's not like I was going to throw stones in a glass house. So I told my religious friends, your mom's come to my birthday party, but you're not allowed to talk about Jesus. <gasps> you're going to go to hell. I said, I don't care. You can come. This is my birthday. If you want to honor me, come and enjoy yourself. I said, I'm not saying if somebody asks you if you're Christian, you can't tell them, but you're not allowed to preach with words, period. Nothing. Otherwise, I literally will kick you out. I went to my sinner friends, and I said, two of them were going through comedian school. I said, I want you to tell, you know, do your comedian stuff, which I knew, that, you know, when you do that, they roast you. Um, and I just said, but try to keep it above my belt. <laughs> Some of you are getting the humor. And I just said, you know, and, and I, I said, and, and come. Bring your partners if you want. This is not, you know. They knew I was Christian. They came and roasted me. Oh, my goodness. It was so hysterical. I haven't laughed so hard. Do you know? To this day, I still hear from both sides that that was one of the best times. Now, we had alcohol for some people. And for one of them, I almost took the keys away and just said, I'm going to drive you home. But I didn't have to restrain them. They restrained themselves. Both sides asked me when I was going to do that again. It wasn't religious, it was life. And I heard from both sides going, I actually had an honest discussion with somebody and I learned stuff I didn't know. And the other side was going, I didn't know church people could be funny. <laughs> I was going, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm learning too. <laughs> if it's not fun, I've learned it's not sustainable. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying we have to have fun in a fake way. Sometimes having fun is getting together and 
and in a sense, just talking through some serious things. But it being safe. Let's go to the next slide. Um, okay, what I mean about being real, what I mean about having fun. Let's go to the next slide. I'm not sure if I, I put that in there. Okay, how do you include someone or someones in your life and still have it be fun or meaningful? If you don't know how to have fun with people who aren't Christian or of another faith, you know, I've got to challenge you. Your world has become too small. The Messiah you claim to be the Lord of your life hung out with sinners and tax collectors and drunkards and prostitutes. How do we open our lives up like that? It requires us growing up, learning how to set boundaries. But it requires us to be real. Let's go to the, do we have the next scripture? I don't think so, I think. Okay, the next scripture I have is Isaiah 53 verse 3. And this is something God has used as well for me. And it says, Isaiah 53 verse 3. I'm just going to read a small portion of it. He was despised and rejected by men or mankind. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Was his life easy? He grew up a bastard when the scarlet letter story would have seemed like an easy life. Growing up a bastard in that time meant you were cut out of most of society. Remember, his parents were related to the high priest. <laughs> that would be like, you know, the Pope having a family and one stepson <laughs> that we push in the corner. <laughs> Let's think of the, the ramifications. And yet... When the prostitute touched Jesus, she got convicted. He didn't get turned on. This is our Messiah. When his mother said, they run out of wine, do something. Did he turn the wine into water? Now I'm being cheeky here. No. They didn't have alcoholism back then. No, they had it long before then, because if you read the Proverbs, it has a few things to say about drinking too much. Don't hear what I'm not saying, hear what I am saying. If you're in a place in your life where you're dealing with some of those addictions and things, and they grip you, and you can't be around people like that, that's okay. Be sober-minded and work through things. 
It's about freedom, and freedom is terrifying. Jesus was acquainted with sorrows and grief. Duh. But he didn't live there. We're called to overcome. Sometimes we're in the midst where everything feels like we're not just acquainted, we're marinated in it. And the way actually I felt God quote this to me was he said to me, Jesus wasn't marinated in it. He was acquainted, not marinated. God knows my sense of humor. <laughs> and I was like, okay, sir, yes. In other words, there is a time to cry, and we need to cry, and there's a time to laugh. It's about being real. It's about having fun. Do you know when people grieve authentically, it's not as awkward as when people act religious. Mary and Martha didn't try to impress Jesus. When their brother died... In fact, they said, if you were here, you wouldn't be dead. <laughs> oh. Did Jesus get offended? No, he wept. Even though he said, I can't go because he's sick. <laughs> the disciples are going, well, if he's sick, what's the big issue? He's going, he's going to die, dudes, and I can't be there because I'm not supposed to stop it. That's a whole other teaching for the prophetic. But... What happens? Was he inauthentic? And what I know what's going on, like some of the prophetic people you see, who just float above everything, liars that they are. No. Even though he knew it gripped him. Being human is feeling. Hopefully you get my heart in some of this. Let's stop living us and them. Let me read one more passage here that encourages me. So we'll end with this. It's Acts 11.19. Actually, I'm not going to read it. I'll paraphrase it. Peter is stoned. I mean, sorry. Um, not Peter. Peter is set free. Um, Stephen is stoned. The church gets dispersed, and it says they only preach to the other Jews, except a few of them spoke to some non-Gentiles, and God was with them, and a lot of people started getting saved. I don't see God rebuking the people who left, who didn't go out every day and stand on the street corner and share their faith. Now, I'm being cheeky. It's, is God real in your life? Because if he is, it seeps through every area. Some of you are evangelists and you draw people. And when they get saved, you go, no, you. I don't know how to help you go clean yourself. I'm That's why we need pastors and shepherds and teachers. We need each other. There's two of you in here, God said to me, that you've stopped doing the work of an evangelist because you're tired of how messy it is. And the problem for you is that you haven't partnered with shepherds and teachers. 
who can help. Shepherds and teachers go, no, don't save any more people. I don't know how to help the ones we've got. And the apostles are going, more! And everyone else is going, oh, Jesus. Yeah, maybe in a month. <laughs> we need each other. It's messy. So those two, if you know who you are, I'm going to say repent. And all that means is going, God, I misunderstood. You're not asking me to carry a weight. You just want me to be me. And there are other people who can help. So, let's end with, who are you not? Who are you? And how can you have fun in a sustainable way and include others in your life? Being you, you don't have to be anything, anyone else other than you. You don't have to have all the answers. Just be you. Let's pray. And who am I handing over to? I guess to me? All right. Dad, I ask for those two specifically who shut the gift down for feeling overwhelmed. I ask God just for your freedom to come upon them and their thoughts to be captured to you. God, that your love through them would continue to reach and save many. And for the rest of us, God, I ask that you continue to draw us into your presence and that we would open our hearts and our lives, even though that requires more of you and that we would live and have fun and in the context of our own lives, God, learn how to be friends with tax collectors and prostitutes and drunkards. And that when they touch us, God, that you would touch them. And we would both grow and learn and be changed. And that your freedom would permeate this world in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. If you'd like to find out more about who we are, we invite you to check out our website or feel free to download the Church Center app. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on YouTube and Spotify. We love you, God bless you, and thank you for tuning in to Catch the Fire Boulder.